0: Thank you very much, Anita. Let's pray together. Father, we know worship is not about us, ultimately about you. But yet, you give us that privilege of worshiping you. And we know a vital part of worship is being responsive to what you've given to us in Scripture. It's our desire to be hearing, obeying, as we consider a portion of First Peter this morning. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Living stones, God's temple design, one day will fit in. For we are living stones, chosen by him. Christ is the head. The chief cornerstone, what size will it be? To him alone that is known. Our lives are being shaped as we live for him. Each stone is being formed to fit perfectly in. We may face rejection and be misunderstood or face criticism, but it's all for our good. The sacrifices we offer to him each day are shaping our stones in just the right way. One day we'll be amazed when we finally see what a magnificent temple he has built. With those living stones, he's made of you and me. Several weeks ago, as we were discussing 1 Peter chapter 2, 4, 5, and 6 along there, I said to Jane about writing a poem on living stones and living stone, and that's what she gave to me. And as we continue discussing 1 Peter, chapter 2, we want to read together verses 9 and 10. And keep in mind in the context that Peter is writing to those who are God's elect, and that's clearly stated in chapter 1. And verse 1, he's writing to people who are God's elect who are living in the world that were facing some difficulty, some rejection, some persecution because of their faith. Not rejection or persecution from the government, but from neighbors, from co-workers, or family. It depends on what it may be. First Peter is very, very strong, particularly in chapter 1 and chapter 2, on the identity of Christ, who he is. He is the cornerstone. God is his father. Christ is the one who is given new birth. But he also emphasizes the identity of believers. Who are believers in Christ? Who are the people to whom Peter was writing? And he brings that out very strongly as to who they were. They were a purified people by obeying the truth. They were people that had been born again by the imperishable word of God. They were living stones. They're not going to be put to shame. And he continues the description of who they are in verses 9 and 10 of First Peter. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the immediate context, Peter had mentioned that Christ is a living stone. In verse four, chosen by God and precious to God. And then he says, believers, people to whom Peter was writing, But also, believers today, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Then in verse 6, he talks about Christ, the chosen and precious cornerstone. And those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. But those who do not put their trust in him, they're going to stumble. And at the end of verse 8, it says that's what they were destined for. Then in verse 9, Peter says, but. The word but implies a strong contrast as you look at the context. After reflecting on the shame of those who reject Christ that they're going to bear, Peter now turns his thoughts back to his hearers who have trusted in Christ but implies that his readers are experiencing something totally different. The opposite of what those who do not trust in Christ. And Peter lists a strong contrast to emphasize the identity of the people to whom he is writing. Because they're living in a culture that was rejecting them. And in some ways we're living in a similar culture where we're rejected if you have certain views and you live in certain ways. But Peter shares he says you're a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God. Jer, I think you have Is this the Sunday's PowerPoint? It says about verse 6. But anyway, a chosen people. Chosen people is echoing Isaiah chapter 40, or I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 43, which announces that God himself is Israel's only Savior who will deliver his people from their exile in Egypt. Thus, Peter is identifying his hearers with the Old Testament Israel. Isaiah 43 and verse 20 talks about God being water or God providing water in the desert for his people. So Israel, or rather Peter is announcing Israel as God's only Savior, tying that in with Christ. The term genos refers to people descended from a common lineage, Abraham. When we think of Christianity today, think of Christianity in Peter's day, he's reflecting back a chosen people. Israel's deliverance from Babylon is the forerunner of a greater deliverance provided in Christ. Because when you look at Isaiah, Isaiah's judgment, deliverance, Israel's going to go into Babylon, but they're going to be delivered through God. Peter is saying to his hearers, you're going to be delivered out of darkness into light. It also would be tied in with Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, where God talks about Israel being a treasured possession. Peter says, you're a chosen people. And one commentator says, and I quote, the understanding of Christians that they formed a new race among humanity was precisely one of the points for which they were criticized and persecuted by first century pagan society. Roman writer refers to Christians as a separate class. Punishment was inflicted on Christians, a class of men given to new and mischievous superstition. This perception of Christians led to practices and attitudes, whether justified or not that alienated Christians from the people of the empire. From the conception of Christians as a distinct race came accusations that believers in Christ were haters of mankind. The very goals of Peter's letter, that believers form internal bonds within the Christian community and repudiate certain attitudes and practices of their society, also gave rise to the charge that Christians were antisocial. Christians were perceived to repudiate pleasures such as theater, races, the gladiator combats. They were accused of breaking homes and family ties, ruining businesses, abandoning pagan religious ritual, and avoiding civil duties. That's the context in which Peter's hearers were living. And Peter says, you are a chosen people. Your identity is distinct from your culture. He also says you're royal priesthood. Peter's hearers, mediating God in Christ to the nations where they lived. Now think about believers in that day experiencing persecution, some difficulty, but they're a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? Priests go to God on behalf of others. It would time with Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6 where Jesus, or not Jesus, but Moses speaks to Israel, speaking for the Lord that Israel is to be a Priesthood among the nations, a treasured possession. Believers in Peter's day and today are connected to Israel in history. Obedience and holiness are in view here in Peter as well as they were in Exodus. Chapter 19. An ancient priesthood in Israel was set apart to be sanctified for a people, for their ministry to the Lord, to whom they had special access. Just as Israel as a nation was set apart, Peter's hearers and believers today are set apart. Mentally, stop and ponder. Are we, as a local church a royal priesthood in the area in which we live. Peter says, you're a royal priesthood. You live among those who are persecuting you, but you're a royal priesthood. You're to go to God on their behalf. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? A couple of thoughts in relation to living today. About a husband and father leading his wife and children in worship and in prayer. Being a priest, praying for them in their presence. About fathers and mothers together whether it be sitting together or on their knees together, praying for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. About myself and elders praying for our church. You know, there's a reason why we take time on Sunday morning and Sunday night to pray. Where I pray or usually one of the elders or deacons pray. Because we're a priesthood. We're responsible for exercising leadership. How about a Sunday school teacher, a teen leader, and a WANA leader going to God on behalf of students, teens, and clubbers in their presence, but not limiting to only in their presence? How about a local body of believers going to God on behalf of the hurting in their community, in our community, being a priesthood for our community. So over the years, I've visited a lot of people in our community in various settings, and I'll pray with them. Why? I'm a priest, part of a priesthood, about going to to God on behalf of those who persecute you or give you a hard time or reject you, being a priest for them. I'm going to issue a challenge and then we'll go on to husbands and wives where both are believers in Christ. If both are not believers or your mate is gone, then you can individually or maybe find someone else. But I'm challenging you together cry out for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Sitting down or on your knees together being priests Praying that your children, grandchildren may come to Christ. They may be adults, or if they are believers, that they'll walk with God faithfully. Beloved, we're a priesthood. Exercise the priesthood as parents in praying for your children and grandchildren back to Peter but you're a chosen people a royal priesthood and then he says a holy nation constituted of believers in Christ centered in God's kingdom Peter's hearers they needed the identity you're part of a holy nation God established a new covenant in Christ by the sacrifice of Christ. And he says, This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Who were Peter's hearers? Who are we today? A holy nation. The term reinforces the concept of obedience and sanctification, a people called and set apart, just as Israel was called and set apart. But a holy nation brings alienation from the popular society, thus potential conflict. Conflict came from other people in the Roman Empire to Peter's hearers. That may happen today. The first century Christians were often persecuted and executed Because they claimed that only in Christ is the one true God to be worshipped. I'm going to repeat. First first century Christians were often persecuted and executed. Not because they worshipped Jesus in a polytheistic society. What is one more God? but because of the higher claim of the gospel that only in Christ is the one true God to be worshipped. It's okay to add Jesus to a list of other gods, but when you claim Jesus' exclusivity and he's the only way to God, that's when the persecution came to Roman believers. Please understand, too, that in Peter's day, the prosperity and the welfare of the empire were believed to be dependent on religious forces. Thus, the Christians' allegiance to Jesus as God were viewed as detrimental to the culture. These Christians are creating a problem for us Because they're not worshiping in the same way we are. They're not willing to make Jesus one of many. They say he's the way, the truth, and the life. That created problems. Christians hold dual citizenship. For Peter's hearers, that created tension. And for us today, it creates tension when... The government formulates policy and moral and ethical issues, such as abortion, marriage, sexuality, and so on. How do you live well in that culture? Peter's hearers were going or taking some flack. And Peter says, Remember, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How do you live well in our culture today when the culture may say it's okay to take life, whether young or old? How do you live in a culture today where marriage is being all kinds of redefinitions that it's going through? How do you live in a culture where there's various views on war? Peter says, your holy nation, whether in Peter's day or in our day. Not only were they a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, but they were also a people belonging to God. A people belonging to God. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We find that God is about to give what we call the Mosaic Law to the nation of Israel. And before he gives them the law, or before Moses speaks the law, we find in Exodus 19, we'll pick up with verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you in eagles' wings and brought you out of myself, or brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Peter reflects back on God speaking to Israel. A people belonging to God. God chose Israel. Peter's writing to God's elect. And then he says, back in 1 Peter, a people belonging to God that you in verse 9 implies the reason of the purpose a people belonging to God that you the purpose is declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light but declaring the praises of God how would peter's hearers declare the praises of God by simply obeying God by loving one another deeply By ridding themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. By having marriages, according to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Accepting suffering and rejoicing in it. Same would be true today. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Into his wonderful light. Believers, called out of darkness, called out of gloom, of punishment, called out of misery, called out of spiritual darkness, into his wonders, wonderful, glorious, marvelous light, a relationship with God, sin forgiven, purification, one day in the future in eternity with God. He also says, once you were not a people. Be true of Peter's hearers, but also true of us today. But now you are the people of God. You weren't a people, now you're the people of God. Identity has changed. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the idea of involved in mercy is benefit." which results from compassion and benefit which results from blessing. The identity of Peter's hearers had changed. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Some applications. Our identity determines how we live as a local church, as families, as individuals. Our identity determines how we live. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, Living accordingly in a culture that may reject God or have different standards, but living with grace in that culture. Living well in our present culture, live well in our present culture, give up getting back old America. As we get older, and I've listened to older people a long time, we tend to say, well, remember, and then we say, the good old days. And I'm not debating whether they're good or not. But probably some of them are good and some of them aren't good. How many of you are willing tomorrow to get up? And let's go back. In the cold of January to get up and go to the outhouse. You know, good old days. But I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about where we are as a culture. Sometimes if we're not careful, we say, I wish our culture was today as it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. We all know it's not. It never will be. Let it go. Live well in the present as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. America will never return to where we were 30 or 50 or 60 years ago. Even if we move in that direction, our culture has changed. Live well where God has placed you. Good stuff in the past, but live well in the present. I can be so consumed with going back that I miss the present. Nothing wrong with reflecting in the past. That's not my point. But spiritually, live well where you are. You can't go back. Another application. Focus on what God has called us to be in our culture today. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, Set so your hopefully in the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, and so on. Memory is good, and I think we need to talk the past. In fact, the passage that we read from Joel 1 this morning talks about sharing to the next generation and the following generation, but yet living well where we are. What has God called us to be today in 2019? Well, I wish. No, I will. We have opportunities today as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God that were not present 40 years ago or 50 years ago. They had opportunities then that we don't have today. Each day or each time period in which God has placed people have unique opportunities to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Don't miss today in what God has called us to be because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation and a people belonging to God there's a tremendous temptation down through the pages of history for believers in Christ to be passion or passive observers Peter earlier said, you're living stones. He here says, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God. He's not speaking of leaders. He's not speaking merely of followers. He's speaking of all believers. Living God's call. In Peter's day, but in the day and age in which we live. We live in a culture of pluralism. More and more rejection of Christianity. To some extent, we live in a post-truth culture. There's a temptation to neglect history. Pursue socialism. Redefine marriage. Anything goes sexuality. In this culture, we're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. And in our culture today, we need to understand our identity because our hope is in the Lord. Let's sing together.